0: Greetings, friends, and welcome to this episode of the Communication Guru Podcast, where we believe it is not always what you say, but how you say it that matters the most. I'm your host, Tim McMurtry, president and CEO of Tim McMurtry International LLC, a business consultancy specializing in personal development and training, government and public affairs, along with corporate and community relations. I'm delighted to have you join us And I thank you for your listenership and viewership of this show. As you know, our aim on this platform is to discuss nuances and insights relative to the communication continuum to help you maximize the impact and results of effective communication within your own various spheres of influence, be it your business, your relationships, and or your workplace. We're here to help you become a top-notch communicator. So be sure to like, share, and subscribe to this podcast so you can be notified when new episodes are released and are available for consumption. So the famous line from Shakespeare's play Hamlet, where King Claudius's chief minister, Polonius, admonishes his son on how to carry himself while at university or college with, to thine own self be true, evokes at once a notion of self-care and protection along with the presumption that you already know who you are in the first place. So if you are to be true to your own self, that denotes that you know who you already are. So you can stay true to that. And while you may have a sense of who you already are, provided your mental faculties are unimpaired, what happens to your perception of who you are when your communicative processes and patterns, when your mental faculties have been compromised or challenged. So it's one thing to, you know, I'm all good, I'm straight, I'm good to go. But if you have some challenges there in your mental space, how does that impact your communication? So for a long time, mental health was not something that was talked about openly. It was typically relegated to hushed tones where isolation and institutional confinement were the norm. If somebody in one's family was dealing with mental health issues, you didn't really talk about that. They were really confined to maybe some room in the house, and it was, you know, a not-too-popular thing. Well, recently, there has been a greater understanding of mental health and how it affects people and families, that has emerged, and mental health and how to most effectively promote it and mitigate challenges have increasingly emerged into the mainstream. One recent example of the front and center nature of the significance of mental health can be witnessed with the publicity surrounding professional tennis star Naomi Osaka's decision to withdraw from two of her sport's largest and most lucrative tournaments, the French Open and Wimbledon, citing her uncomfortability with meeting with the media because they asked questions that triggered some of her mental challenges. So she said, you know what? I'm not going to answer any media questions. And then the French Open officials then tried to punish her by saying, well, hey, we're going to fine you $15,000. As a matter of fact, you face the threat of being kicked out of the tournament if you don't abide by our rules of having to talk to the media. She said, I'll do you one better. I'll just withdraw myself. I'm not even going to play. How you like them apples? And then the very next tournament, Wimbledon, which is going on now. Matter of fact, Ash Barty just won the women's title there. And I think Djokovic is playing for the men's title. Anyway, sidebar, it's going on now. She said, I'm going to skip that as well. Now, she has prepared herself to play in the Olympics, Tokyo, representing Japan her mom's native country, but what it did was it caused a firestorm of feedback, both from those in support of, hey, her mental health is important. Mental health is very, very crucial. So no matter whether you're a celebrity or a regular citizen, you have to take care of your mental health. And those that have said, you know what, she ought to abide by the rules. Her mental health be darned, just get over it. And so you have two sides of that same coin. And so with that, To help us explore the mental health continuum a bit more, along with its communicative impacts, I'm delighted to be joined in studio today by mental health advocate, educator, entrepreneur, father, and founder of House Call Wisconsin, Brother Montreal Kane. Welcome to the show, my friend. Good brother. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Glad you could join us today. I appreciate your time, man. So, in the best interest of our listeners, can you share with us a little bit more about your background and what sparked your interest in this mental health sphere in the first place?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I have a loved one that has been living with bipolar disorder since I've been born. Highly functional, able to adapt to any environment, has multiple degrees, and I mean, contributed so much to society and so much to the city. But every now and then, there would come a time where it's mental health will create challenges. And so I grew up in an environment where you just didn't talk about it. If you were having some type of mental health issue, you prayed about it, you slept it off, you took a cold shower. But oftentimes we didn't hear the word therapist. Mm. What is that? So you want me to pay and lay on the couch like Fraser Crane and talk to somebody that? <laughs> we don't do that in our community. And so it ended up taking places about three and a half years ago. There was this crisis that took place. And I was responsible for taking this loved one where they needed to go. They happened to be a veteran. And the objective was, let's get their medicine adjusted. Let's figure out what is off about this balance. Now this thing is, the person had COVID-like symptoms. And because they had COVID-like symptoms and they also needed to take medicine to keep them balanced, there was a chemical imbalance by mixing the antibodies with this regular psych medicine. And one of the things that uh, ended up taking place was, I was gonna take them to the VA, get their medicine balanced. And the day I went to go do that, I couldn't find them anywhere. I sat there and I waited as long as I could. I began to pray. And I started asking God, where is my loved one? Where can I find them? Where did they disappear to? Here's their cell phone. Here's their keys, but I don't see them. And I ended up reaching out to a local organization, an amazing organization called MRI Family Services. MRI Family Services is led by CEO, double doctor Lakia Jones. And I reached out and I said, hey, is there a way that I could serve on your nonprofit board. And they're like, hey, you know, we just did some work together, websites and things of that nature. We would love to have you, but what brings you to this conclusion that you want to serve in this capacity? I'm like, hey, this is what's going on in my life of my loved one. I need some support. And I think that the way I'm feeling right now, I don't want anyone to ever have to feel that way. And so I ended up getting to a place where I ended up calling around, trying to find them, couldn't find them. And I get this phone call from someone called a CIT a crisis intervention trained officer. And before that day, I never knew that there were such things that exist where you have law enforcement who are actually trained in crisis intervention. And it sparked me to start digging a little deeper. While serving on the board for three years, I went and got mental health first aid certified while serving for MRI Family Services Vice President. I went back to school and went and got my master's in Christian counseling. And then most recently over the last two years, I incorporated a for-profit and a nonprofit business to make sure that we address some of these stigmas that we provide any advancements in technology, any type of tools and resources that could just help us be able to manage our loved one's illness. And oftentimes, that's exactly what it is. It's an illness. It's something that stops you where you can't control your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, or your daily functions or behavior. And until we begin to identify it, break the stigmas, silence the shame, we're going to continue to look at it as though it's just something that we can choose.
0: Yeah. So as you grew up with this loved one, and around them, at what point in that journey did you, I guess, get cognizant of and to the point of saying, you know what? I want to be able to impact the change as opposed to this person is acting weird. What's that about? When did the light switch go on for you from, I don't know, to let me do what I can to be as of much help as possible?
1: I've been blessed to uh, make it around the sun 32 times, and this year I'll be 33. I'm ashamed to say it, man, but I was in my late 20s. This had to be like 27, 28, where I started to feel not embarrassed, but empowered by the fact that I know what to call it. I know what that is. When you can identify a challenge or a problem, you can solve it. And so once I understood that there are different remedies and best practices that can be implemented throughout the family, I knew that there was something I could do. I just didn't know how.
0: Wow. Wow. That's awesome. What do you think has helped mental health to be increasingly thrust into the mainstream
1: conversation these days as opposed to yesteryear when it was like, hey, don't say nothing about that? Being transparent and it, it's really unfortunate, but the mass shootings, man. Mm. When you start thinking about mass shootings and why a person would go and have a premeditated killing spree, oftentimes it's, it's something that we couldn't really identify or imagine as normal. And so what happens is there's been professionals who's been able to identify and sit down and talk to these people and say, what were you thinking? A lot of times we think of the word common sense as a a ploy. Oh man, that's common sense. But common sense ain't common. For some people, they literally cannot control their thoughts, their feelings, their emotions, their behaviors. And when you think about how mainstream media identifies a mass shooter, oftentimes they're identifying them as someone who was out of control.
0: Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There was a young lady by the name of Dr. Joy DeGruy. She wrote a book called uh, Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome. Sociologist, I think she's based out West California, I believe. She came a few years ago to an NAACP Freedom Fund dinner here in Milwaukee. And she was talking about trauma. The main thrust of her conversation that night was talking about some of the things, the vestiges, of slavery that African-American communities still kind of battle and overcome. But she gave a particular example. She was talking about trauma and its effect. And from the podium, she used a guy that was sitting on one of the front tables as an example. She said, well, now, if I were to pull out a gun and shoot this man right here, everybody at his table would be traumatized by that because they witnessed his shooting. In addition to that, those that are out in the hallway that heard the gunshot also will experience some trauma. Let's say he has family in Mississippi or you know, California or New York or whatever. When they get word of what has happened to him, they also will be impacted by trauma. All of that said, on the mass shooter example that you just gave, and they asked me, hey, what were you thinking? Hey, I lost my mind for, for just a second. Is that triggered by a traumatic experience, or is that just some malfunction in that neurological process from Jump Street, or does it worsen over time? Where does that come from, or is it all of the above, or one of the above? There's
1: so many different diagnoses for mental illness, and I mean hundreds. Wow. A person that is living with a bipolar disorder has a completely different experience than a person that lives with paranoia. A person that lives with paranoia has a completely different experience than schizophrenia. And just like anything in life, there's levels. There could be something that is a triggering event. You can be triggered by a smell. You can smell a familiar fragrant lotion that you love and it's going to take you back to a memory. And so sometimes we think of triggers as a negative thing. A trigger can be a positive thing too. Being able to identify with seasonal weather and changes. There's certain people that in fall season, they may fall into a deeper place of depression. There's a phrase in movie, cabin fever. Where did that come from? It came from being isolated. Imagine so many people who've never had any form of diagnosis being able to quarantine for almost an entire year. What effect can that have on their mental state of being? Yeah. And so while there is one in 17 people who live with serious illnesses like bipolar schizophrenia or a bipolar disorder, there is one in four individuals that actually live with depression and may not know it. Really, man? Absolutely.
0: And what are some of those signs that those around them can kind of identify and help them pinpoint saying, hey, this look depression-y. Let's
1: deal with this. There's usually different patterns. Every single person has a pattern that they follow. Some people, they wake up in the morning, use the restroom, wash their face, brush their teeth, shower. You're going to start to see different patterns. I remember in my family, it was the grooming. It was noticing that the manicuring of this loved one and how they would keep themselves up began to change. There was the sleep deprivation, right? And so I can't talk about everybody, but if I talk about myself, nobody can get mad. Sleep deprivation is not for everybody. This team no sleep thing is a concept that's not exciting at all if you really understand what it does to you neurologically. When you deprive the body of sleep, it cannot function at its highest capacity. And shout out to the Richard Bransons, shout out to the John C. MacWells, and all the different folks that'll tell you, you may or may not need eight hours of sleep, right? Some people are highly functional. Steve Harvey. Come on, man. Don't get no sleep at all. Man, listen, (laughs) after that four or five hour routine, That's pretty consistent. But imagine a person who usually sleeps four hours is now sleeping 12. Uh, That's a sign as well.
0: Okay. Okay. So there are some telltale signs that somebody can identify if they know what to look for. They can say, hey, this is something going on there. Most definitely. Let me see if we can do some intervention with you so it won't progress to a point of detriment you alluded to the COVID-19 piece and its you know, disruptive nature on one hand and its correlative hibernation Absolutely. that it caused on the other hand. And as people were talking about, you know, going back to work or working from home, these hybrid examples, there were some things that immediately came to mind, you know, businesses being back at full capacity and folks being able to come, you know, restaurants, being able to serve people, dining as opposed to just carry out and stuff like that. But one of the things that didn't necessarily get talked about as much now is starting to emerge is the impact on the mental health. Some families liked it better when they could come and go as they pleased because the home life wasn't all that sweet. And now being isolated, those conflicts may have even evolved into more hardcore abuse, physical, mental, emotional, etc. And then some of the other ones are just being cooped up. That I didn't get physically abused or anything like that, but this confined quarters for an extended period of time, this is kind of messing with me. That said, do you think that as we continue to come out of the whole pandemic and we have this post COVID world, that the mental health and things surrounding it will be a staple? of conversation? Or is that just kind of the new hotness right now, the sexy thing right now, and six, seven, eight months from now, it's gonna fade to black?
1: I think when you think about pop culture, there's always something that's trending. Mm -hmm. Diversity and inclusion was a trending phrase and word for so long. And now when you think about trauma-informed care, mental health advocates and allies, this is an opportunity to leverage this stage. There is an audience that's been waiting to fill apart. When you think about women's rights, civil rights. There was a movement that took place. Now you can see policies, legislators, who are actually putting themselves in position to say, hey, I want to change the way that we stigmatize mental health. I want to create more resources. I want to find out if there are community-based responders out here that can actually serve the people when they're going through a traumatic experience versus sending a police officer with a firearm. There are actual steps and items that you can see on agendas now that are making advancements. And so now As before, it might have been hearsay. It might have been popular to say. You might have seen corporations adopt it. There are actual municipalities that say this has to be a part of how we govern our cities.
0: Mm -hmm. There was an organization out of Chicago. It's called the Something Institute. I went to a workforce development conference a couple of years back, and uh, it may come to me, it may not, but they wrote a paper, and it was called the Curb Cut Effect. And in this paper, the premise was Curb cuts, while originally designed for those who were in wheelchairs to more easily navigate and traverse main thoroughfares and streets, et cetera. And even that there was some you know, opposition to it, once the curb cut happened for that particular group of folks, there was a benefit to a wider range of individuals. Joggers, people that are pulling luggage, you know, regular citizens, you know what I mean? Those that might be older and their mobile skills are maybe declining. The curb cut had a universal benefit. On the mental health tip, are there one, two, three, multiple things that might be able to feel the curb cut effect type of role in that while it might have been originally designed? for those that are battling mental health issues, the greater society can also benefit from it once it's
1: implemented. Absolutely. Right now, if you were to buy a new Tesla car, there is over 300 people monitoring your air tire pressure, the cooling on your engine, or lack of engine per se, the cooling on your battery. There's so many different features that we think about in a vehicle. And to actually assign individuals to say, hey, I want to monitor and see if this vehicle is performing to its best ability. I can imagine a future where we could do that for human beings, for the human race, where we can take advancements in technology and be able to say, hey, something is off today. Let's get the oil changed. Let's have a check-in. Your suspension is off today. I'll take a selfish moment to say one of my greatest prides was being able to address how we monitor not just human behavior and interaction, but the state of being of a person. I worked for Apple Incorporated for about five years. Okay. And I started off just as a local salesperson working at R059 in Walatosa, Wisconsin.
0: Like the iPhone, Apple.
1: Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. And there was a moment where I wanted to do more. I wanted to achieve more. I didn't know that I would go down this path of mental health because I have spent over 15 years in marketing. And I actually reached out to the GM and we had a conversation and I said, hey, why is it that Working inside of an Apple store, the same resource that's available to the general admission that walks in the door is the same one we give to business individuals. What if we showed them that you could use your iPhone or your laptop to have green screen technology? This is 10 years before TikTok. Wow! So now you see everybody cropped out and cut out. Like, why don't we show them that? Why don't we show them that there's software built into the computer where you can make a brochure or you can make your letterhead yourself? And I was given this response. If we had better attendance, we'd have better workshops. My response was, if we had better workshops, we'd have better attendance. And so I asked for some grace. I asked for opportunity to work extra hours to do research and development. This led me to understand that there was a mental health community and an accessibility community that wasn't being served in Wisconsin at all. While Minnesota might be one of the hubs, we're just right around the corner and we didn't necessarily have programming. After my research, I found out that it would be best if I spent my time focusing on accessibility. Simple things that we would normally see as as common. For example, right now, there's a beautiful piece of technology, I'm looking dead at it, and it's an amazing iPhone. With this iPhone, it has a flash on it. And with this light from the flash, most people might use this to find their keys, look in their purse. If you go into the accessibility feature, this can be used for a person who is legally blind. And the flashing effect that some of us use that helps to see that the phone is ringing, was designed for a person who's living with a disorder or a disability. And so the more and more I started to dig in, there were certain features, like if you're on a, let's just say you're browsing on the internet, you press command, if you're on a Mac or a control, if you're on a PC, and you zoom in. Well, we see that as normal things, but for a person who is hard of seeing, that allows them to zoom in and have a different experience. And so I found myself working in the accessibility community. And it's interesting you talked about the curve effect, and just dealing with wheelchairs and whatnot. I remember a customer coming in, finding out that I was an accessibility champion supporting 33 stores and saying, hey, there's a guy here that I want to help me. I have a wheelchair. The person was living with a disability called, he was quadriplegic. So he couldn't drive his wheelchair unless he used just a small bit of range of motion for his hand. And he came in and he said, I would like to have the Kindle app on my iPad and I wanted to read books to me. The most exciting thing in the world was he was speaking into the future. Mm. There was Dragon dictation apps, but no Siri yet. There was ways where you could actually turn on different features in your device for it to read to you, but you had to use your thumbs and your fingers to get there. And so after doing some research, I contacted a company. Shout out to Telka out in Canada. I contacted this organization. They sent me an Atari-like joystick. I was able to connect that to a wireless battery pack. We then Bluetooth synced it to his iPad and we created an arm on his chair where he was able to go from driving to directing his iPad to show what areas he would like for it to read to him. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Okay. This was the intro into accessibility and assistive technology.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now, that's a great example of the positive nature and life-changing impact that technology can have on humans. There's some that would say that, hey, Big Brother, this technological, all-seeing, eye, ever-present, ubiquitous force that we have can be problematic. And China is brought up a lot as, hey, they're watching you all the time, and America is going to borrow some of those same policies and procedures. Is there kind of a dividing line between technology being the bomb for us, like the examples you just gave, versus us being in the matrix where, you know, the world is run by machines and they're trying to get us?
1: Well, you got to think about the benefit of a cashless society. Through the pandemic, you weren't using cash anymore. You could pay your bills online, places where you would usually have to go, even to the bank. You could do everything virtually. And so whether we decide to embrace technology or not, it's coming. And most of us have embraced a form of technology unintentionally today. It could have been the car that we drove in. It could have been the coffee maker. These are things that start off very manual. Imagine the process of, let's just say, taking the original form of a coffee bean, getting it to dry out, to be able to compress it down, and then be able to grind it and self-press after boiling a pot of water, or just going to Starbucks. So the benefit of technology will either be for us or it will leave us behind. But as long as we begin to embrace it and decide how much technology do we want? I'm a Milwaukee Bucks fan and we're doing a great job and we still got the W coming. So what this (laughs) means is it's playoff time. And in playoff time and in the finals time, we're watching it on TV. We're streaming it live. We're listening to it on the radio. Benefits of technology are not just something that we should love because it entertained us. What if it could save our lives? Mm. I don't think there would even be a question of the dividing line. Mm -hmm.
0: What if it could save our lives? That is the question of uh, the day. (laughs) <laughs> Man. Another quick question for you, how would you advise people who aren't super familiar with issues surrounding mental health? What advice would you give to them in terms of how do they engage, approach, communicate with family members that may be dealing with that, or even just general acquaintances that they may know of or have come across in a way that both parties can be as
1: comfortable as possible? Absolutely. In addition to getting master's degrees and teaching at MPS, I was a product of YouTube University, Mm. and I graduated magnum cum laude. If it was something that I wanted to learn, I was in the position to Google it. We call it Uh fact-checking. And so if anyone has had a fairly decent education, you know that there's a source that you can cite and notate what you find online. Just going to your local library is not enough. You can go on your phone and ask the simplest question. What is mental health? What is mental illness? There's times where we get bug bites in the summer and we don't know how to address it, but we will hop on Google and they'll say, take a little tea tree oil, put it together with this lemon juice. If we were able to say, what are the symptoms of depression? There are a million viable resources that are backed up with evidence-based research available on the internet and at our fingertips to be able to educate ourselves. Not to mention, every single state has a county that specifically focuses on mental health. In Milwaukee, it's Milwaukee County Behavioral Health Division. So there's organizations and resources that are designed based on your geographic location, that when you do a Google search and you look for resources, you're going to see a million things. There's also a phone number, 211. If you dial this 211 number, it's an abundance of resources that you can find. There's abundance of resources and information and help desks that can lead you to the right solution nationwide all across this great country. And as long as you're prepared to use the technology like a cell phone you already have, to just dial those three numbers, those resources can come to you immediately. But for everything else, there's this podcast. <laughs>
0: Did y'all hear that? The Communication Guru Podcast. Everything else. Come
1: on here. We'll leave the light on for you. That's where the producer drops in the fog (laughs) (laughs) Right, right.
0: Good looking out, bro. I appreciate that. Dig this. Last couple of questions for you. You have a mental health preventative care service called Mera. Can you share a little bit about Mera? What's that all about and goals for that?
1: Absolutely. More than just being empowered. There was that moment where I expressed earlier, my loved one was going through some things. I couldn't necessarily find them. And so I took that as a case study to say, what could have had the best alternative outcome? What pieces of just functionality in my life at my fingertips could I have used to learn where they were? There was all these applications out here. As an educator, some of my young boys and my mentees, they would have moms and, and uncles and aunts that always wanted to know, hey, what you up to? Where you at? And when they got comfortable enough, they would share their location with me because I'm saying, your mama said you ain't come home today. I need you to leave the grocery store, wherever you at, go home, knock out your homework, cut the grass. Found this amazing app called 360. And it was just something that parents could use to get a hold of their children and know their whereabouts. Well, I started thinking, What if we were able to develop something where we always knew where our loved ones were? We knew exactly how they feel. We can even kind of determine their emotion based on the music that they're listening to or the environments that they're in. And in that process, it would allow us to be able to just determine what are those stress indicators. When I founded Mira, we looked at a four-step process. The M in Mira stands for monitor. Mm -hmm. And so what we did was we would use assistive technology like Apple Watches, Samsung, Fitbits, any type of wearable that already has built-in technology like heart rate monitors. And we would monitor the heart to determine what are the stress level factors and indicators that are showing signs of stress. Now, if it's a Tuesday afternoon at 4 p.m. and every single week, I'm going to the gym and my heart is jumping up to 103 beats per minute, we have artificial intelligence to say, keep pushing at the gym and send a positive note of encouragement. But what if, for whatever reason, your heart is speaking, you're going to 78 beats per minute, 89, you just jumped up to 100, you went back. There are stress level factors that evidence-based research shows a person's heart rate moving from anxiety, moving from a place where they're experiencing a form of paranoia. Even if we were to study just the heart rate for African-American male, middle-aged getting pulled over by the police, you'd be surprised what those numbers look like. Wow. So we wanted to be able to monitor your loved one's vital signs and determine what are the stress factors. The next piece was, we'll engage with custom questionnaires. We went and recruited some of the best clinicians across this country to be able to support in real time, 24-7, whether that's telepresence, a text message, or actual pop-up visit, or them just scheduling an opportunity to come in and have a therapy session. We have over 41 therapists that are monitoring your loved ones, similar to a Tesla vehicle, to engage with custom questionnaires and just say, how are you feeling today? Did you get a good sleep tonight? We start off the conversations as casual as possible. Would you like to speak to somebody? When people sign up for our application, there are annual triggers that they write down. It could be, I lost a loved one. When it's cloudy outside, I feel all alone. There are different prompts and questions that allow us to understand what day and time should we be checking on you based on the information you gave. And if you didn't give us any information, those stress level indicators go out to your loved ones and your caretakers. The person wearing the watch is having a moment. The family members are the first ones to receive the bad signal. So imagine the icon where you press mirror and I'm able to say, I need help immediately. My loved one is a little bit off. I want to have a wellness check in. There's recommendations that start to happen. Hey, we created this attitude adjustment playlist when you signed up. And now listening to music and the evidence-based research that we found, we can actually lower that heart rate just by playing their favorite song. So imagine going from a manic state to being able to be a little bit more calm because you're listening to a little bit of John Coltrane and it's putting you in the, in the mind of Miles Davis and you're relaxing now. Your breathing is there. We also have applications in our recommendation process like the Breathing app or the Calm app, where you can literally just use one of these applications to monitor your breathing, to be able to get back to a, a great place and a great balance. But our most impressive piece is the AM mirror, and that stands for Advocate. We'll advocate on the behalf of your loved ones with our crisis response team that is comprised of community-based responders that are crisis intervention trained, along with the actual practicing therapist and/or mental health professional.
0: Wow, man, that's <laughs> that's powerful. In that you can have the immediate response, and it has the integration of technology. Once again positive impact of technology. Absolutely. When you were talking about the music piece, I was thinking about even like in the Bible when it said that King Saul was going through a a manic state and called for David to come and play on the harp and it drove away those manic spirits from him. So music has a spiritual dimension that can be impactful to us. I think that's an awesome piece that you kind of integrated into this movement, and this service, man. That's Kudos to you for that. Just last couple of questions we kind of wrap up, man. And Those that want to get in touch with you after hearing all oh, this game, you done been spitting. Like, hey, I need to holler at, dude. What are the best ways to get in
1: contact with you? Absolutely. We're a one-stop shop for access, and that's www.housecallwi.com. www.housecallwi.com. When you scroll down to the bottom of the page, it's a place to sign up for a demonstration. It's a place to actually access our newsletter. And so for some families where, let's just say they don't have the access to this technology, we actually started a nonprofit organization, House Call Foundation, where we will provide the phone, the watch, pay the phone bill, and pay for those services for up to 36 months for families. Wow. Wow. A website again? www.housecallwi.com.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Last two questions for you and I'll let you get on out of here. What impact or legacy do you desire to leave in this space? And then the final question is, any parting words
1: for our listeners? Most definitely. We must change the stigma of mental health. Oftentimes, you can hear, toughen up, suck it up. Let's stop doing that. Let's kiss our children, tell them we love them, allow them to have a space to voice how it is that they feel. If we leave it up to some forms of technology like TikTok and Fortnite, it will impact the way that they think, the way that they feel. When you think about the cars being stolen, the Kia epidemic that's been taking place with these vehicles being stolen, you have to think, where did this programming come from? Mm -hmm. And some people might say, it's the video gaming culture where we take police on one and we try to get our stars up and there's choppers that chase us behind. And that's what we've seen on our daily news. We want to get to a place where now we are seeing more restorative practice circles in schools, We're seeing counselors and advocates that are saying, hey, I noticed that you might be feeling a little cloudy today. Let's talk about it. Actually making available resources to say and normalize, how are you feeling today? And beyond saying, I'm good, I'm fine. Digging deeper, having different questions and scenarios where families can come together and break bread. I'll never forget being in Chicago, Illinois, or Evanston specifically, where my fiance lives. And this was during a holiday season where we sat down and the conversations weren't about Christmas, gifts, school, jobs. It was about the protest, the sound of sirens, the lockdown that took place for so many different months where you couldn't even leave your house unless it was to go to the grocery store. Right. And so the conversations that we're having at the dinner table need to be surrounded about your wellness. How difficult would it be to just do a wellness check-in with your brother or sister? The legacy I wanna leave is to normalize the human connection and start investing in each other's mental wellness. Wow.
0: <laughs> How do you like them apples? Mental wellness. Having conversations about mental wellness. I got two shorties myself. One is 20. My daughter is 16. 20 year olds. is my son. I'm going to have to rap with them today about their mental health. Thank you for that. Listeners, that about does it for today. We thank you for tuning in, both of you who are watching and listening. Please, again, be sure to like, share, and subscribe to the Communication Guru Podcast, the Communication Guru Podcast, the Communication Guru Podcast. Also be on the lookout for the Morning Inspiration Vlog, which are inspirational words and insights that are given to put some wind behind your sails because each of us over the course of the day needs an at-a-boy or at-a-girl from time to time. And so finally, if you have a communication issue that you may need assistance with, feel free to drop me a line at tim at timmcmurtryinternational.com tim at timmcmurtryinternational.com with a brief description of what your challenge is and we can hop on a discovery call to see if we can bring some solution or remedy to your communication challenge. So thank you again for tuning in. Remember to like, share, and subscribe to the Communication Guru Podcast. Until next time, blessing and increase to you. Bam.